okay? Okay, I admit it. I have a confession. Forgive me, Father, for I have sinned. Um, you guys were right. You were right, okay? I'm just gonna come out and say it. Charlie Brewer is a top five all-time Baylor quarterback. Baylor doesn't get to a Big 12 championship and a Sugar Bowl last year without him. Matt Rule doesn't pull off Baylor's resurrection without Charlie Brewer. Matt Rule is not in the NFL today without Charlie Brewer. Those facts stand. But (laughs) I don't know how you could watch the first half in particular this past weekend's game against TCU and come to any other conclusion. Man, and I, uh, you know, I made all the arguments last week. I wrote the article. Hey, Charlie's the guy. He's the best guy. He struggled, man. He struggled. He missed throws that he wouldn't have missed last year or even two years ago. He looked discombobulated. And so, as I said last week, I'm still really hesitant to say bench a guy. I'm still really hesitant to believe that either of the quarterbacks behind Charlie are any better today. I still hesitate to just fully buy into that narrative. I still think what Seth Russell said a month ago now holds water that a lot of the issues we see with Charlie are probably indecisiveness that have to do with him overthinking a new offensive scheme. But he missed throws he should have made. There were a couple throws, a deep ball, a slant, that would have been big gains, maybe touchdowns, had he hit the receiver, and he didn't. And he did throw up a couple deep balls against TCU, which was good to see, but they were not accurate. It hurts me more than you know to say that. Not to say I was wrong. I I take pride in being able to say when I'm wrong and when I'm not wrong, okay? Uh, I can acknowledge when I'm wrong. It it hurts me to say that about one of my favorite players I've ever seen play football. Truthfully, that's what Charlie Brewer is. He's, He's just tough, and he's a great football player. He's a great football player. And what he's done for Baylor cannot be cannot be overappreciated. So that's about as raw and real as I can get with you. Now, he pulled a Charlie Brewer, right? And in the fourth quarter, he made some stuff happen. And there were other issues on the team this past Saturday. That's still uh, reality. There's so many other issues beyond Charlie Brewer. But I got to the point Saturday where I said, yeah, I want to see Bohannon. For those of you calling for Zeno, chill out. Bohannon's next up. Seniority, depth chart, what he's proven in football games. Bohannon has an edge on Zeno and all of those. And from what we're hearing, off the field, leadership. Bohannon's got it. Zeno's still figuring it out. Give me Bohannon. I'm into it. Let's go. I mean, this was a game against TCU you had to win if you were going to have any shot at finishing in the middle of the pack in the conference. Baylor's going to finish 8th or ninth in the conference. They're not going to finish 4, 5, 6, like most of us were hoping. They're going to finish 8th or ninth. 
And I'll get into all the other reasons why Baylor is struggling. It's it is so much more than Charlie Brewer, but let's protect Charlie's health, right? He he's got a long life to live. We hope and pray after football. Let's protect him. Let's see what you've got in Bohannon. If you want to put Zeno in a little bit, see what he's got. I'm not opposed to that. Let's see what you've got for 2021. 2020 is a wash. I'm not saying you throw games, but maybe Bohannon gives you a spark. Maybe Bohannon allows you some flexibility to throw the ball deep or run more quarterback sweeps. Maybe you win a game or two on Bohannon's back. Let's find out. I'm into it. I'm into it. And so I guess really what I'm saying is I'm sitting in a position today where I still, based on Aranda's comments this week, expect Charlie Brewer to be your starter this coming Saturday against Iowa State. I don't expect anybody else. And I'm not going to whine about it. I'm not going to complain about it because I love Charlie and because I'm not a coach. I trust the coaches. But you know what? I'm with you. At this point, I think I want to see Bohannon. I hate it. I hate it. I'm going to compare Charlie to somebody really quickly because I I still think a lot of this is not his fault, okay? Charlie Brewer in 2020 is doing exactly what happened to Zach Smith in 2017. You hear me? Charlie has become the guy he replaced in 2017. Hear me out. Hear me out. Zach Smith is a good college quarterback. He's gone to Tulsa and had some success with Phil Montgomery. Zach Smith has a rocket on his shoulder. And we knew that when he was starting for Baylor. The dude can sling it, okay? He's a good college quarterback. He was Baylor's starter in 2017 for the first half of the season outside of the Liberty game, right? And most Baylor fans liked Zach Smith, knew Zach Smith could play, But the reality was, in 2017, Baylor was losing football games. Zach Smith was too immobile to make plays behind a very bad offensive line. Our offensive line this year is still bad. They were so much worse in 2017. People that are saying that this is the worst Baylor team ever and this is worse than the 2017 year, uh uh-uh. You don't remember how bad 2017 really was, okay? I know we competed with Oklahoma for a game, but honestly, 2017 was bad, okay? Zach Smith wasn't mobile enough to play well behind that offensive line. He wasn't ever a threat to run. And as a younger quarterback in a new offensive system, he was indecisive. And so Matt Rule against West Virginia inserts Charlie Brewer. A little more mobile, a lot of unknowns, but a little more mobile leader, not a lot of film on him, fit what Matt Rule was trying to do on offense a little bit better, could make some plays behind a bad offensive line, and all of a sudden, there was a spark. Charlie Brewer didn't fix all of the team's issues, no no doubt. But he did almost win that game against West Virginia. He did prove to you that he could start at Baylor and that he was a, a good college starting quarterback. It did set him up, I believe, for success his sophomore and junior seasons, right? True freshman Charlie Brewer came in, made a difference. It was nothing against Zach Smith. 
I'm glad Zach Smith transferred and he's had a good college career. I hope Zach Smith is like a sixth or seventh round draft pick this spring and gets an opportunity to make an NFL roster. I'm rooting for Zach Smith. He's a good quarterback. Charlie was the better option at the time and it equipped Baylor for the future. That's where I'm at with Charlie Brewer. I think Charlie Brewer is a good quarterback. I'm rooting for him. I will forever remember him as one of the best Baylors ever had. I will always remember that run we made last year, that improbable, nobody called it, run to the Big 12 championship game on Charlie Brewer's back. On Charlie Brewer's back. That is history. It's cemented. It's gold, okay? But is it possible that like Zach Smith, Charlie Brewer is just not the best option to run this offense this season right now? He's limited. We've talked about it ad nauseum, whether it's injuries or mental or indecisiveness or inability to read defense. I don't know. The question is, is Charlie Brewer the best option to run this offense this season with the other issues that the team is facing, which are multiple? The answer is no. I I don't know that he is. Okay? I'm, I'm there. I'm with you. Whether it's Bohannon, who I believe should be the next guy up, or Zeno, You insert somebody else, maybe you get a spark. There's not a lot of film on either of those guys. Maybe behind a bad offensive line, you know, Bohannon, clearly more mobile than Charlie Brewer. Charlie Brewer, clearly not as mobile as he was three years ago. Maybe Bohannon opens up something that Brewer can't do, much like Brewer opened up stuff that Zach Smith couldn't do with his legs. Bohannon maybe opens up some stuff that Charlie can't do with his arm. It's very similar. This is not an anti-Charlie Brewer take. I have not swung that far over. I'm very pro-Charlie Brewer. This is just a, let's look at the situation. Let's look at what Baylor's offense looks like right now. Let's look at all the factors. Yeah, I think Gary Bohannon might be the best choice to do it. And I'm allowed to change my mind since last week. (laughs) You can call me a hypocrite or whatever you want, but I think intelligent, healthy, reasonable people change their minds about stuff. You got to be willing to be flexible and look at some flaws in your argument and look at the data as it continues to come in and change your mind about stuff. It's the problem in politics today. If I can just sidetrack that real quick, people are too unwilling to look at data and have intelligent conversations and maybe be willing to change their mind about certain things. I'll change my mind about this one. I want to see what Bohannon can do. Entirely possible that Bohannon gets in there and it's not any better. Entirely possible. But, we won't know till we try. I hope Aranda tries it. If it's not this week, I hope it's the next week. I hope Aranda tries it. I don't think the team would fault him for that. Okay. I'm passionate about that topic. So, 10-minute rant over. Thanks for bearing with me. That being said, welcome in to this week's edition of Please Bear With Me, brought to you by Bears Illustrated 247 Sports. Happy to be with you this week. Sorry for the late drop on this week's episode I recorded today's conversation with Aaron Torres on Monday, had all of it edited on Monday. All I had to do was some of these opening segments and conversations about this past weekend's game. But as most of you know by now, I am a youth pastor full time. We have our big fall retreat this weekend. So I've been working double time and and really stressed and getting all that stuff done. So I appreciate you waiting on this episode. I appreciate you listening, hopefully catching this before the Iowa State game. I would appreciate if you are the praying type, I'd appreciate your prayers for this weekend for me and for my students. We're taking 70 students to Camp Tejas and Giddings, and 
Um, we're doing all we can to take good COVID precautions and keep people healthy and safe. But just please pray for us, for our travels, for our health. And of course, if you are a Christian, I'd appreciate your prayers for our students that they would come to know the Lord and uh, follow Jesus with their life. Sorry for that little sidetrack. If you're not a Christian, that's cool. Um, thanks for listening, but would really appreciate your prayers there. Let's talk about some of the other things from this past Saturday. Listen, you can't get down in a 30 to nothing hole and win. I mean, even Art Bryles' teams, I don't know. Could Art Bryles' teams have come back in that game? Probably, but they also wouldn't have had the defense to bow up in the second half and hold DCU to three. So, you know, you can't get in a 30 to nothing hole in football. You just can't. That's, that's asking to lose. I don't care how good you are in the second half. Of course, Baylor made the game interesting. I wish I could say I was surprised. This was the first game in a long time where I've given up fairly early in the game, but I did watch the whole game. If you turn the game off, I don't know what to tell you. There's a lot of bandwagon fans in the world that will only watch their team when they're playing well. I prefer to watch my team win, lose, or draw and cheer them on through everything, so I watched the entire game. It was rough, dude. Like, there's no way to go around it. It was bad. We looked bad. So now there's criticism being thrown every which way. We've already covered the quarterback stuff, so let me cover a few other things that are, are talking points here this week. I'm sure you know we're here kind of later in the week. Most of this has been discussed, so I won't spend too long here. If you're criticizing Coach Aranda, I think the criticism is probably valid. If you're calling for Aranda's head already, you're nuts. You're nuts. You're crazy. Listen, everyone acts like, oh yeah, we believed in Matt Rule because make up your reason. Nobody believed in Matt Rule in 2017. I, I want to take us back in time here. Reality check. If someone has some Twitter receipts, feel free to post them, okay? Everybody wanted Matt Rule's head in 2017. All of us did. I waited until like the first four games of 2018 to call for his head, and of course then I had to eat my words too, right? By the end of 2018. But nobody thought Matt Rule was doing well. The Baylor fan perspective on Matt Rule in 2017 was, oh yeah, here's this Northeastern guy who's doing all these drills to get our players hurt, and he doesn't know anything about football in Texas, and he's not going to be able to recruit, and oh my gosh, look, we're losing every game. Uh, this guy's supposed to be defensive, and our safeties take terrible angles. Oh, this guy's offense is so vanilla. We suck, we suck, we suck. The Baylor fan perspective on Matt Rule was entirely negative. So fast forward to 2020. And, and the people calling for Dave Aranda's head are saying, well, at least Matt Rule, blah, blah, blah. No, dude, nobody liked the one-win season under Matt Rule either, and none of us were really gung-ho about Matt Rule at the end of the 2017 season. Remember, trust the process. We called it coach speak. None of us believed in him. He proved us wrong. He proved us wrong, right? Hindsight is 2020. Matt Rule knew what he was doing. That one-win season was part of his process, and it worked. Just because Dave Aranda is not as dynamic or extroverted, just because he can't preach like Scott Drew, <laughs> okay, we don't know what Dave Aranda is as a head coach. We don't know. And this season is the worst metric you could imagine to determine if someone can coach. First-year coaches in the FBS right now across the board are terrible. No first-year coach right now is having success. You cannot have success as a head coach if you don't even have a spring practice, a fall camp, 
And as many weeks of practice as Baylor has had canceled, as many different groups have rotated in and out on position groups like the offensive line, no head coach, I don't care, Nick Saban would have a losing record right now with this Baylor team. Okay? Like, if you are making a judgment call already on Aranda's worth as a head coach, you're nuts. Most college football experts will tell you to wait till year three or four to determine if someone can coach. This isn't even year one for Aranda. This is year like zero or year half. Okay. Can't make a judgment call on Dave Aranda yet. I still believe in Dave Aranda. I believe in Dave Aranda because of Mac Rhodes' track record of hiring great coaches, especially at Baylor. I believe in Dave Aranda because of how bad LSU's defense looks this year that he's left. I believe in Dave Aranda because every football person I talk to, people inside the Baylor building, people who've met him other places, even football coaches who don't know him personally but have heard about him, there is not a negative word about him. I've not heard one. There's negative words from fans. I've heard negative words from ex-Baylor players. But this guy is considered an elite football mind. Can he put it together with a winning team on the field? We got to give him at least three years. I'm not going to make a judgment call on him this year. I'm certainly not going to make a judgment call on him next year. I might not make a judgment call on him in 2022. That's the earliest you might be able to find out what he is as a head coach. We don't know yet. Give Aranda a break. Fedora? Criticism is a little more warranted. Little. I still don't think... It's entirely fair. It's really hard to call plays when your offensive line can't do jack squat. Really hard. Really hard. My primary criticism of Fedora would be he appears to be getting away from the run game too quickly. I think that's a fair criticism. He falls in love with the passing game, and you've heard me say since preseason when I had Travis Corley on, Baylor's best offense this season would only throw 20 passes a game and would be pounding Lovett and Ebner on the ground. So, little criticism of Fedora is warranted. I think Fedora is catering to Brewer, which affects play calling. And I think, you know, he hadn't called plays in a long time. I forget the exact number. Somebody told me the other day, maybe 11 years, 10 years. Fedora hasn't called plays in a long time. I think he he's great. I think he will be great. Okay? I think we need to give him at least through 2021 before we call for his head. I'm very heartbroken over the injuries to Tyquan Thornton and John Lovett. I'm hoping they'll both be okay. I think they're both still questionable for this Saturday's game. But man, talk about a guy who's got to be frustrated. Tyquan Thornton is such an elite deep threat receiver. And he's in an offense right now, whether it's Brewer or offensive line or Fedora or all three, which it's probably all three, is not throwing any deep balls. I, I hate what I've seen out of Taekwon this season. It's not his fault. I, I think it's not his fault. I hate that he has not been more involved and that they have not been able to creatively get him more involved. And I uh, love it, man. I, I give him tremendous credit for expressing his frustrations a couple weekends ago and sticking with the team and coming out looking to run strong this past Saturday and then getting hurt. Man, hate it. Hate it. So I wish them both the best. I do want to react to some positive things really quickly before we get into this week's interview. Ben Sims is awesome. That guy's going to be an NFL tight end. He's really good. He made some really, really big plays. I think he needs to become a little more dynamic. The The current breed of NFL tight end is 
uh, fast and a deep threat. He's not that. But as far as like a Jason Witten type, he might even be able to get close to like who Zach Ertz is, I think, which Zach Ertz, dynamic tight end in the NFL. I think Ben Sims could be that. If he develops his speed and strength a little bit in the next couple seasons, gets to where he can really run crisp routes, that guy's going to play in the league. I love that we're getting a tight end involved. Bryles, I thought, always underutilized his tight ends. Rule, I thought definitely we expected him to utilize his tight ends, and he really never did to the extent that we expected him to. I'm glad to see Baylor is utilizing Ben Sims, and I hope they continue to. I was Really excited to see Yusuf Terry and Jalen Ellis get some action this past Saturday. Hate to see Thornton get hurt, but Yusuf Terry's a guy I've been excited about for a long time. He's so big and fast. He really resembles Denzel Mims in a lot of ways. If he can get to where he can fight for deep balls like Denzel Mims used to be able to high point those footballs, I think Yusuf Terry could be an NFL caliber player. So explosive, so fast. Can't wait to see what he continues to do as he continues to be involved in this offense. And then there was one deep ball attempt to Jalen Ellis, who Jalen Ellis is another guy. I mean, this Baylor receiving room is young, but so many guys with potential through the roof. Jalen Ellis, a guy who can outrun almost anybody. He would have had a touchdown on that deep ball from Charlie, had the ball hit him in stride. It was underthrown. I wish Ellis had come up with the catch. I think it's a catch he should have made. But regardless, it was not on him. It was on Brewer and on the throw. He ran a great route that would have been a touchdown. That's a guy that I think is going to make some big plays for Baylor in the future as well. I like seeing them. And then, of course, we got to talk about Squirrel. Uh, I'll come right out and say it. Squirrel's the best running back on Baylor's roster. I have suspected that for two years now. He confirmed it uh, this past week. And maybe teams get film on him and that changes. I doubt it. The guy is just so explosive. If he can stay healthy, that's going to be his biggest key. If he can stay healthy, he's like Seastrunk. He's that explosive, quick, can score every time he touches the football. Ebner is like that too. Ebner And and Ebner made that catch on the sideline to bail Charlie Brewer out late in the game that, my gosh, uh, Treston Ebner is a beautiful man, okay? But the best running back on the team in terms of give him the ball and let him pick up yards is Squirrel. He is. He's incredible. He is going to be a star for Baylor in the next few years. And remember, Lake Seastrunk struggled to stay healthy. I don't think Lake Seastrunk played a complete season for Baylor. I think both of the years he was the starter, he missed some time. And fortunately for Baylor, Shock Linwood was right behind Lake Seastrunk, and so Baylor didn't miss a beat. However, Squirrel Williams, let's keep him healthy because I think he's that dynamic. I think he's as good as Lake Seastrunk, if not better. He probably has better hands. Probably can pick up blitzes better and block better. Lake Seastrunk was not great in either regard there. But yeah, can't wait to see more Squirrel. I hope there's a lot more of the running game involved in general, and I hope at least half of it goes through Squirrel, especially if Lovett's out. I know that's not just a ton of analytical reaction or breakdown of the TCU game, but like I said, we're here late in the week. Uh, You've probably moved on past the TCU game. I know I was in a very, very bad mood Saturday and Sunday about the TCU game, which is why I did not record this podcast then. I was just pissed. But I've come to grips with it, man. This Baylor team is not that good. And I'm going to put 80% of that on COVID and the weird season we've had, 20% of it on um, players. I think we're too talented to play as poorly as we did in the first half this past Saturday. I could go on a huge rant on the effort we saw from the defense in the first half. 
but the defense is still going to be elite. Looking ahead to this matchup against Iowa State, I think Baylor's got a better shot than we might give them credit for, especially after the TCU game, but Iowa State's going to win. Listen, Ames is a notorious place to play. I don't love that we're playing in Ames. Even without fans, I think that's going to throw a wrench. Morgantown threw a wrench at us, even though there were no fans there. So I, I don't expect Baylor to play particularly well in Ames. And uh, Brock Purdy has really struggled this season. If you want to find another quarterback that we thought was really elite at the college level that is having inexplicable problems, it's Brock Purdy. I really thought he was going to be like a second-round NFL draft pick. He may not get drafted at this point. He's really having a hard time this season turning the ball over and just not playing well in general. So I think this is going to be, and I know I said this about TCU, and Baylor gave up 30 to TCU in the first half, including that punt return that was so bad. Okay, So I know I said this last week. I'm going to say it again. I think this is a low-scoring game. I think if Baylor wins, it's because the defense forces some turnovers. I think it's because the defense scores a touchdown, potentially. The question, once again, lies on the offense. I think they figured some stuff out in the second half last week. I'm tired of waiting until the fourth quarter to see this offense work. I'm tired of it. So, I don't think they'll replace Brewer. I think they'll try a lot of the same stuff they've been trying. Let's see if they can stick with the run game. Maybe use a little more squirrel early. See if you can't pop off a couple big plays on the ground. I think Baylor has a shot in this one. I don't expect Baylor to win. I'll take Iowa State something like 20 to 14, and we'll see how this weekend goes in Ames. We'll be rooting for Baylor. Uh, I won't be watching the game live. Again, I've got a fall retreat with my students this weekend, but I will be keeping up with it. I'll record it and watch it back Sunday night. And, of course, we will talk about that game in depth next week. That's all I've got for Baylor football this week. We're going to do something fun with our guest. We are going to talk big picture college football and Baylor football, but I also wanted to talk about Baylor hoops. This Baylor men's basketball team this week was ranked Ken Palm's number one team in the country. Baylor basketball, this men's team has a legitimate chance to just run the table. They will lose a couple games, of course. It's basketball. But in terms of Final Four, National Championship, none of that's out of reach for this men's basketball team. Jared Butler obviously uh, might end up leaving after this season as Baylor's best basketball player ever. And that's saying something because Baylor's had some outstanding world-class talent. So we're going to talk a little Baylor hoops today. One thing you need to know about me is that I love sports radio. I pretty much made this podcast in part as a love letter to Baylor football, but also as a love letter to sports radio and all of the radio hosts that I admire and want to emulate. Sports Talk Radio has just always been an incredible resource for me to keep up with what's going on in the country, to hear experts break down situations in games and teams, or to hear really interesting and engaging and talented entertainers at the microphone kind of giving their take on sports. It's just always been, I mean, I've been listening to sports radio obsessively since like sixth grade, okay? And about three years ago, probably, I made the just complete switch where I have not listened to ESPN radio in a long time. I've switched over pretty much full-time to Fox Sports Radio. Colin Cowherd and Dan Patrick are two of my absolute favorite hosts, and you know Fox Sports has grabbed them both and has had them both for a few years now. Their shows are just, to me, the pinnacle of what a sports radio show can be. 
And then they have all sorts of other entertaining folks, mostly who they actually sniped away from ESPN. Chris Broussard, Jason Smith. Of course, they have Outkicks Clay Travis that hosts a show early in the morning. It's just, uh, to me, a much more entertaining and fun sports radio network than anything ESPN has put out, especially since they closed down Mike and Mike in the morning. Aaron Torres hosts their Saturday night show with Arnie Spanier. So I hear him just about every Saturday night. He also hosts the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. And Aaron Torres, I would tell you, is a rising star in the sports media world. He's a great writer. He's a great host. He's really good at articulating his opinions and and thoughts on sports in both an intelligent and an accessible way. And I don't think, I mean, I think in the next 10 years, you're going to see this guy be maybe the next Colin Cowherd, maybe the next Nick Wright or the next Dan Patrick. I think Aaron Torres is a rising star and he's on that level. I really do think very highly of this guy. And so I am just over the moon, excited and thankful to interview a guy that I look up to, that I listen to every week, a guy that if I can be half the podcast host he is, uh, will be doing really well here on Please Bear With Me. So let me welcome in Fox Sports Radio's Aaron Torres. And Aaron had specifically told me he would love to come onto our show when we would talk some Baylor hoops. So we're going to talk both Baylor football and a lot of Baylor hoops here today. So let's welcome in Aaron Torres. Just by way of reminder, I did interview Torres over Zoom. And so there's a few spots here where I lost him for anywhere from five or 10 seconds and I just don't have his audio. In those places, you will hear some white noise just to let you know that that's what happened. I think you'll be able to infer what he said each time his audio cuts out, but you will hear that white noise cue just to let you know there's about five to 10 seconds missing on those gaps. Torres, I already gave you a little introduction and and your LinkedIn profile says that you're the youngest national host for either Fox Sports Radio or ESPN Radio ever, dude. So before we dive into football and basketball talk, why don't you tell my listeners real quickly your story and who you are? Well, I don't know if I said ever. If I do, I need to update it because um, that was just a stat that one day I was kind of putting together some materials on myself and I was kind of like, you know what? I know I'm the youngest one at Fox um, and, you know, obviously there's only so many national radio outlets. And so I went ahead and looked it up and as best I could tell, there was nobody younger on ESPN. And I would use the caveat, uh, you know, I'm not a former professional athlete. That's what you said. That's what it said. That's right. That's right. I don't know if like Mike Golick Jr., although I don't know if he was professional either. Maybe I need to update it. Whatever. Listen, YOLO, I'm rolling with it. Um, so yeah, man. So no, I mean, the long and the short of it was I've been doing this for a while now. I'm in my mid thirties, you know, started out like everybody else, just trying to find my way out of college. And after a series of many, many, many steps, uh, I ended up at the old foxsports.com, uh, you know, covering, doing what I do now, frankly, covering college football, college basketball. Um, and in 2017, I guess it was, they shut down the website. You know, they just came in one day and said, we're not doing, uh, writing anymore it's uh you know we're going to quote unquote pivot to video uh it's ironic because in the last probably uh six months or so they've kind of pivoted back to writing which is right you know yeah yeah it's it's the business i get it it's just part of the deal you know um and it's funny because even when it happened the first time while it was unfortunate for me um you know it was kind of one of those deals where um you know i understood financially why the business was doing it. I really hated it, but it was kind of, I understood the reality of it. And so to spare everybody some time, you know, I was, I was really, really fortunate. Um, 
that previous spring, um, I had really kind of, I don't know if, you know, kind of within the radio, Fox Sports radio community, um, really had broken out as kind of a, a, a pretty regular college hoops guest for the NCAA tournament. Um, I was really lucky because that was the year that Lonzo Ball went crazy, and I, I live in Southern California. I, so when the website shut down, it was the end of June, um, and it was right around NBA draft time, and obviously Lonzo was a big topic that year as well in the draft. And, um, you know, as draft season was kind of coming to an end, uh, you know, I reached out to the then talent booker at Fox Sports Radio. She unfortunately passed away last year. Her name's Cindy Katz, beautiful woman, amazing woman. And I just kind of told her, I said, you know, if you guys ever need anybody, you know, at any point to, you know, 2 a.m. to 5 a.m., I don't care. I'll come in and do it. And it was so funny because, you know, she was so sweet about it. And she said, you know, we've just never heard you do anything other than basketball. And, you know, we know you've done some college football writing, but, you know, it's obviously, you know, we, you know, NFL is a 365 day a year topic. NBA is a, a really big topic. And, you know, we just don't know. And uh, I said, I completely get it. And I tell this story all the time, and it's 100% true. The day that we found out they were shutting down um, foxsports.com, the website, uh, we kind of knew it was coming that morning. And so, you know, when you know you're getting fired, uh, you know, you, you don't you turn off your phone and whatever. And so, um, you know, I, I had a friend in town. We went out for lunch, had a few beers. I said, I got nothing to wake up for tomorrow, whatever. And uh, turn back on my phone after we were done. I literally shut it down, which is funny because I, I can't even tell you the last time I shut down my phone, but literally shut it down. And uh, when I logged back in or whatever, um, you know, two, two voicemails, you know, one was from HR at foxsports.com. Hey, uh, you know, we're going to have to let you go. It's nothing you did wrong. You know, we hope the best. Oh, by the way, bring back your computer, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> um, and then the second one was from Cindy Katz at Fox Sports Radio and said, Hey, July 4th, you know, can you be here? I said, yes, got some fill-in shifts now, you know, along with Arnie Spanier, I do the Saturday college football recap show every Saturday night. It's a lot of fun, love doing it. But, you know, I always say, and I, I truly believe it is, you know, it was a very cliche, but very true when one door closes, another one opens. And uh, that was literally what happened to me and how I kind of got my start with the radio station. Man, that's awesome, man. I love that. Thanks for sharing that. College football's been crazy this year, obviously, as has everything in the world. And like you said, you get to talk about it every Saturday night. I'm usually listening, and, and I know a lot of others do too. And you've been pretty consistent, and I would say one of the more level-headed guys in terms of your COVID college football takes. General broad overview, and I know that's really tough to do with all the teams and conferences, but general broad overview of, of kind of how you're looking at college football right now and how COVID has affected everything and what you're looking for moving ahead this season. Well, it has, to your point, Scotty, affected literally everything. Um, and listen, nobody knows it better than Baylor fans. I mean, right? <laughs> you know, I, I don't know how many games you were supposed to have played. I can't remember at this point how many were postponed or canceled. But yeah, man, I, you know, what I would say is, you know, my, my stance on COVID from the beginning has been based on what I do as a profession, which is I talk to coaches, I talk to players, I talk to parents. And as we got back in the, you know, the summertime when players started returning to campus, you know, the overwhelming um, sentiment that I heard from, from parents was uh, we don't have answers, but we think our staff is doing about as well as they can to keep our kids safe. And so as the, the, the narrative continued through the summer, 
I just felt like most of the national media either wasn't doing their homework or wasn't sharing what they were actually hearing. And so it was really funny because, you know, obviously, look, there's a lot of people in our business that have big platforms, whatever. And, you know, I would tweet out, hey, you know, I'm hearing that most players feel safe and want to push forward. And it was a lot of the local guys like you that cover a specific beat that are maybe more plugged in with parents and families and stuff because you've been doing this forever. And, it, you know, I heard it from a lot of local guys like, hey, man, you know, my school, that's the what I'm hearing from the parents. You know, I don't know why more people aren't talking about it. And so when the Big Ten canceled, essentially, you know, I was frustrated. And I think I was really one of the first people that really jumped on it, not in the sense that it was the right or wrong decision, but to do it with no practices under your belt and to do it with, um, you know, with, with, with students on campus at the time, it was 13 or 14 campuses were open. I thought it was ridiculous. And right. Yeah. And so that's pretty much where I've been since then. Um, I think it's easy to look at, you know, the game or two that gets postponed every week and say it's an outbreak. It's a whatever. And I look at it from the opposite is, is that it's actually, uh, we're getting a ton of games on the field as best as I can tell. And correct me if I'm wrong. I don't think there's been a single case of transmission on the field that's been proven. Now, Illinois had a spike after a text from somebody at Baylor, you know, somebody you might know, saying, hey, it's not even positive tests that are screwing us up. It's actually the contact tracing. And so, uh, you know, I just think there's so many false narratives out there. But I think the biggest thing I would say, and, you know, I don't know if you were even asking me specifically about um, – you know, uh, anything since the season started. But what I would say is I think the school is, is just, just doing everything that they absolutely can uh, to keep their players safe. And listen, we understand there's a lot at stake. There's a lot on the line for schools if they don't get games going. Um, but, you know, I, I think that that is the biggest sentiment that I have is these schools are doing an unbelievable job. Obviously, as we transmit uh, trans, transfer into basketball season, starting to talk to more people in basketball who are telling me the same thing. Um, and it's just, I, I just think the schools are doing such a good job. And I think rather than freaking out about the one, two positive tests that we get every week or one, two games that get canceled, I should say, we should be focusing on the 25, 30, 35 games that are getting played every weekend. So zoom in on the big 12 for just a second, right? So that's all great perspective on the outbreak and the pandemic itself, but let's talk about football. The big 12 has been the most unpredictable mess you could have imagined. I mean, Oklahoma dropping a couple games. Kansas State loses an opener and then looks okay and then loses again this past weekend. Okay, maybe Oklahoma State is the team that's going to reign. Well, they go down this past weekend to a Texas team that hasn't been consistent in 12 or 13 years. What do you make of the Big 12 right now, man? Well, you say it's inconsistent. You're absolutely right, because uh, as somebody who hands out gambling picks and likes to have just a small chunk of change, you know, you know, please gamble responsibly. But, uh, you know, I've basically given up trying to handicap the Big 12 because I just have no idea what's going on week to week. Um, you know, and listen, I, I think the reality is, is there's no great teams in this league. And when there's no great teams, I think it, it – it just depends on who you playing, when you playing them, what day you getting them. Is it home? Is it away? Are there fans? Are there no fans? What's the weather like? All those variables that come into play uh, when teams, uh, you know, aren't dominant like Oklahoma has been, like Clemson is in the ACC, Ohio State in, in the Big Ten, et cetera. And so you look at the Big 12 and it's like, okay, well, Oklahoma's got a redshirt freshman starting at quarterback. 
Um, and he went through those freshman lumps. Now it appears as though they're moving in the right direction. But other than him, you know, it's just a game-by-game, game, week-by-week basis. You know, Kansas State looks great, but they have themselves an injury, a quarterback, and now they're starting a freshman too, and all of a sudden they go on the road and West Virginia pounds them. Um, you know, ba- you know, Texas, I, I thought – looked kind of sloppy in that Baylor game. Maybe it's a credit to Dave Aranda's defense. Then they come back and beat Oklahoma state, Oklahoma state loses because they have a bunch of turnovers and they're sloppy as well. So it makes for an entertaining product, I guess you could say, but I can understand uh, the frustration of a Baylor fan or an Oklahoma state fan or a TCU fan or whatever saying, I really have like no idea what I'm getting week to week, day to day from my, from my team. Yeah, and in that spirit, you talked about it. You you said something along the line, there's no great team in the Big 12 right now. And maybe this season that's true, but the Big 12 has had an issue since the college football playoffs started, Aaron, where the Big 12 wants to promote parity as it's almost like driving force for why it's a good league, right? Like, we just have so many competitive good teams that you never know who's going to come out on top, and that's a strength of our league. Well, it's really hurt the Big 12 when it comes to the college football playoff. I mean, even back to year one, and this is a sensitive topic for Baylor fans, right? Year one of the college football playoff, you have one lost Baylor and one lost TCU and no conference championship game to let them play again. And both of them end up getting left out that very first year. And from there, you have some pretty decent Oklahoma teams get in. But once they get in, either they're so beat up, they don't win that first game, or they really just never had a true test to the level of a Clemson or Ohio State, where the Big 12 has really been disappointing thus far in the college football playoff era. So I guess I want to ask you how you've looked at that for the last five or six years. But then the follow-up question, obviously, is... I think a lot of people in the country just want have wanted to see an eight-team playoff ever since the four-team playoff started. What's your view on the college football playoff and how the Big 12 has fit into that thus far? Yeah, so, you know, I, I'm actually um, – and I'm a proponent, and I, I, I say this every year, and the people who agree with me agree with me, and the people who don't agree with me don't agree with me. And it's one of those deals where I kind of understand that, you know, you're whatever side people are on, right, we're – and, um, you know, that's kind of how I feel about the 18 playoff is I actually think most years we struggle to find four quality teams uh, to put in that playoff. And I like to me, I don't think expanding to eight makes the product better. I think it makes it worse. I mean, I think you look at last year, um, you know, Oklahoma gets steamrolled in that game against LSU. So now we're going to add another game for LSU to play when they were clearly the best team, you know, uh, right. there was clearly no four teams. So. I'm actually a proponent. I love it at four. I think it's great. I think it's the right number. I don't ever remember a year where I think the fifth best team was on, uh, you know, what? maybe there was a year that I'm not remembering, but off the top of my head, nothing stands out as a year where the I thought the fifth best team could definitively beat the best team. So I like it the way it is. I understand um, – a big 12 fan wanting eight heck I live in pac 12 country. There's nobody that should be fighting harder for eight teams than the pac 12. Uh, why they're not is another story for another day. Um, as far as like what's happening, why it's happening, all that kind of stuff, you know, all I would say really quick, and, and it's something that I think plagues pac 12 country is, you know, I know a Baylor fan doesn't necessarily want to hear this. And I think Baylor, look, like you said, they proved in year one of the college football playoff and, and towards the end of the Art Bryles era is that um, 
is that, um, you know, they're, they're a program that's capable of being on that national championship level. So I don't want to take anything away from Baylor, but I just think, you know, there are certain programs that because of history, resources, tradition, alumni base, whatever, are built to win that, you know, are, are built to, are better equipped to compete for championships year in and year out, right? And, you know, I say that living in Los Angeles and, you know, the Pac-12 feels down because USC isn't at the level that it should be. And so I think a lot of the, the problem with the, 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 the Big, Te- Big 12 right now is that Texas just isn't what Texas should be. Now, I understand that historically they're maybe not quite as great as people think they are in terms of the actual number of championships that they won, all that stuff. But, I mean, that's a program, and maybe you disagree, man, and, and you're the Baylor fan. You live in Texas. You know better than I do. But that program should at the very least be more consistent and be in the conversation. And the fact that they're not, and the fact that not only are they not, but they, they seemingly can't figure it out at all is just absolutely mind-boggling to me. And so I think that's part of the Big 12's issue is Texas is a program that should be able to do what Ohio State, uh, uh, Alabama, even a Florida or Georgia is doing um, in terms of building a program that year in and year out is at least in the conversation. So I think that's really hurting the Big 12. And, um, you know, there's a number of different variables as to what could happen to get them more in the conversation. But I think that's the biggest one is Texas isn't living up to what they should be as far as living up to that their end of the bargain. No, Torres, I don't think any rational Baylor fan would disagree with you because the, the reality is Baylor fans would all agree and would all push the narrative that Texas high school football is the best high school football in the country. Sure. Therefore, the University of Texas should be getting their pick of those best players and typically do. Oklahoma snipes quite a few of them. LSU sneaks in. A&M will grab a couple. But UT really should get most of their pick and typically has the best recruiting class in the state. And they still can't consistently win nine or ten games which is mind-boggling. I think every Baylor fan loves to see it because we like the opportunity to beat them, right? But I think we'd all agree with you that Texas being down shouldn't happen. Really quick, uh, I, I love the passion of, of fans really all over the South and Southwest part of the country, and really college football in general. But I have a good buddy who um, played, played at A&M uh, back in the Big 12 days, and now obviously A&M's in the SEC um, but, um, but, uh, he tweeted out on, um, on, I guess it was Saturday morning. He's like, I'm torn as to what I want to happen. Um, because obviously A&M is kind of creeping their way into the playoff conversation and Oklahoma state losing would help them. But he's like, I also like seeing Texas twist in the wind a little bit, but, um, it's crazy, man. And, you know, the other thing too, about Texas and the big 12 is that, um, you know, what, what's what's really wild is that, you know, like when Texas was struggling, at least in the Charlie Strong era, to bring it back to the point that you brought up, Scotty, um, you know, at least at that point about Texas is it's not as though like TCU has ascended or uh, Baylor has ascended or Texas A&M is there yet. Now they're maybe on the right trajectory, but that's the crazy part about all this. If there was a team within the state or even Oklahoma completely dominating, I know they've won a lot of games, but Texas has beaten Oklahoma in recent years. So that's the crazy part is it's not as though, um, you know, there's just another program in the state that has it clicking at the highest level. It's just very, very bizarre. That's the craziest part to me. 
Totally agree with you. And speaking of bizarre, I think Baylor surprised a lot of people last season winning as many games as they did. Obviously, it got Matt Rule a job in the NFL with the Carolina Panthers. How closely did you follow that run Baylor made last year to the Big 12 Championship? Obviously, lost to Oklahoma twice there, which was a total bummer. And then not having your starting quarterback healthy for a matchup against Georgia was just never going to work out very well for Baylor. But what were your impressions of Baylor last year and, and ultimately of Matt Rule, you know? because he's pretty much become dignified heir here in Waco, right? Well, and it's incredible because, you know, I, I don't really know what the steps are that he took, but, you know, it's great. I'll tell you a funny story, actually, now that I'm thinking about it. I haven't thought about this in a while, um, is the, um, you know, is so Matt Rule, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but he got, so Art Bryles got fired, what in like may april june somewhere in that time frame right oh no 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 no, no, no. he got fired then it was uh jim grobe then it was uh matt rule okay. well so so you were right though bryles got fired late spring of 2016 and they brought in grobe as like the stopgap plug the hole for the 2016 season yeah yeah, so I had forgotten about the Jim Grobier, but I, so it's really funny because I remember the day Matt Rule was hired. Um, I was a go. I, I do a weekly hit with Texags Radio, which is a Texas A and M radio station. Gabe Box, a great friend of mine. You should not have admitted that to my listeners. Uh oh, <laughs> dude, it's so funny. I never know who has beef with who, and you know, I'm just you know, if you ask Baylor me to come on Baylor here, fans love trolling Texags, dude. They love it. <laughs> well. You'll, they'll probably love trolling me after this, but dude, I remember going on with Gabe that morning and talking about, dude, guy from the Northeast, no head coaching experience, no head coaching experience or coaching experience in the the Southwest area that I remember. I know he came from Temple and he was really a Northeast guy for the most part. Maybe I'm missing a point on 100%. His nope, you're right. Yeah. And so I just remember being like, this isn't going to work. And then they start out that first year, one and 11. And, you know, you could tell me who they lost to. I'm trying to look it up as we speak here, but Liberty, I thought it was Liberty, but I thought, yes. I didn't know. Yeah. And I was just like, this isn't going to work, blah, 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 this and that. And so, you know, whether it's today or whether it's off air at some point, you got to tell me what he did behind the scenes because, you know, I just thought it was so impressive for him to do what he did in three years. Like you said, rarefied air, it should be. Because we know where the program was. We know what they were, you know, what some of the players were accused of doing, what the coaching staff was accused of doing. And to bring it full circle in three years was just absolutely incredible as to where they had it when he left last year. Now, obviously, he left for the NFL, all that stuff. I get it. But it was just amazing to me how quickly it turned around, considering from a PR perspective, from pretty much all perspectives, it was a complete nightmare. Well, I will. T- I'd be happy to share all of that with you because uh, he did a lot behind the scenes, starting with he hired three Texas high school football coaches onto his staff uh, in his first couple of days. Yeah. yeah, so he he did a lot of really ingenious things to get that success. But now, of course, Baylor fans are back looking at another potential one-win year. Um, Dave Aranda, first-time head coach, obviously coming from a national championship LSU program. Still a lot of question marks around Baylor. And, of course, a lot of uncertainty just with the year we've had. No spring camp, a ton of canceled games and practices, like you said, with COVID. What do you know, Aaron? I'm curious what you know just from your position uh, about Coach Aranda and how Baylor fans should go about evaluating their team 
this year under a first-year head coach, right, in, in just all the chaos that's going on. But what do you know about Coach Aranda? Yeah, I just know he was a really well-respected guy, not only at LSU, but even at, dating back to his time at Wisconsin, you know, and he seems like he's got it together. He seems like a guy that, that can motivate a group of guys. Now, obviously, you know, the offensive staff decisions, you know, bringing in Larry Fedora and stuff, you know, we'll see if it clicks, but like, yeah, this guy was really well-respected coming in. Obviously, we saw LSU last year. I mean, you know, I'm still – you know, we focus so much on Joe Burrow and Joe Brady and the national championship run. But you look at some of the teams that that team had to go through to win and to have success. And obviously, you know, you, you look at um, last year, you know, the, the, the job that that defense did, say, against a, a Clemson in the, the national championship game or – you know, you go through different games and I know they had peaks and valleys. They gave up a bunch of points at Texas. They gave up a bunch of points to Florida. Uh, but, you know, I, I thought they, they played pretty well. So anyway, um, I'm getting long winded. Um, he's really well respected in the industry. Everybody likes him. Everybody respects him. Um, you know, I don't know if it's totally about attrition on the offense as to why it's struggling. I don't know if it's, uh, you know, coaching, if it's scheme, if it's whatever, but, you know, in, in watching Baylor, I mean, it obviously, look, it goes without saying it's <laughs> it's been pretty tough to watch, you know, and I, I like I said, I, I joked about it a minute ago. But, you know, I, I like to put a little coin down on a lot of these games. And, um, you know, I, I, I had the under in the West Virginia game. So I watched that one really closely. I had some money on the Texas game. I didn't see as much of the TCU game this past weekend, but it just seems like there's so many struggles on offense. And, you know, I don't know if it like I said, if it's just. Co- you know, coaching, if it's player turnover, obviously with Denzel Mims now in the NFL, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but I, I, I look, I think he's the guy. I, I think that, you know, when I look at the landscape of the Big 12, I think it's too early to make any sweeping decisions. But, you know, you look at this league and it's like, you know, Texas Tech is definitely heading in the wrong direction. What te- what direction is TCU headed at this point? Potential third straight losing season. And so I think he can get this program back. And, you know, I think the great thing too, real quick, and I'll throw it back to you, I'm going long here, is that, you know, there's now a track record of Baylor doing it twice under two different head coaches. And so that makes you feel good. You know, obviously, you know, I'm old enough, man, where I remember just Baylor being just the, you know, just a really, really, really awful program. Um, I actually have a funny RG3 story if you want it, but – but I just remember them being as bad as they were. So to see them not only have success under Art Bryles, but then, like you said, to flip it in a couple of years under um, under uh, Matt Rule, I think it leads me to believe that this can be done. And, and I think it'll get there even as frustrating as, as, it is, as things are right now. Well, hey, we definitely hope you're right. And, and yeah, like you said, what Rule proved is that Bryles wasn't a fluke, right? Like the Art Bryles taking Baylor from the basement. And brother, I grew up, my parents have had season tickets to Baylor football since they graduated in the 80s. So I grew up at all of those football games. In fact, my brother texted me from the TCU game and said, this is the worst game I can remember in a long time. I texted him back the game summary from 2005 when Vince Young in Texas came into town, and it was 63-6 to maybe was the final. And I said, I vividly remember being at this game, right? (laughs) So, So, bro, I grew up with it. I was there. Go ahead and tell us, since you mentioned it, the RG3 story, and then I do want to talk Baylor hoops. Well, I actually, now that I think about it, it's going to be kind of a sour story. Um, So I don't know if you, well, no. So I went to UConn, like I said, and one of my best friends was a walk-on on on the team. 
and I'm just a, a junkie and I've been a junkie on all this stuff, you know, dating back to when I was a student as well. And I just remember texting him the week before that, that Baylor came to Rensselaer Field when UConn actually had a respectable football program. I said, or no, it was about two weeks before I said, dude, do you have as you're about to get into with this RG3 guy? And so he's like, no, what is it? And then they, they, I remember um, them going to the first practice where they turned on the film and, and they and he was just like, bro, you were not lying, dude. This is insane. And, you know, the thing, too, we have to remember about RG3 is that, you know, he was really, you know, when he did what he did, it was before, like, you know, everybody had a dual threat right. quarterback for Lamar Jackson. It was before, um, you know, whoever, Russell Wilson, Kyler Murray, certainly. And it was, you know, that was still in the days of you know, uh, you know, six foot five statue guy standing in the pocket and, you know, whatever. And so, but I, I said, the reason I said it's a little bit of a sour thing is because I do believe the UConn game might've been the one where he got hurt. Now it came back better than ever. So it doesn't matter, but, um, I think he got hurt the week before, if I remember correctly. So then when that Baylor came, came to town for UConn, it was another quarterback. I think that was the case. Maybe that was what it was, was I told him, you have no idea how lucky you are that you're not playing this guy. I can't remember, but okay, okay. anyway. My RG3 story, dude, is uh, his true freshman season, and he had just won the Big 12 in the 400-meter hurdles, by the way. We knew this guy was a freak, but it's like, okay, this, we've got a track runner playing quarterback, right? And it was Art Bryles' first game as head coach. And he started a transfer from Miami who had three three-and-outs to start the game. Okay. After three three and outs, he pulls him and puts in RG3. Second play from scrimmage for Griffin. He goes running around the left end, jukes like two dudes out of their shoes, and gets like a 24-yard pickup. And I remember I was a I think I was a freshman in high school. It was right in there, maybe a sophomore in high school. And it was the best offensive display I'd seen from Baylor in a long time. Okay, <laughs> sure, I and I and I remember I, I kid you not. I walked out of that stadium that night, and Robert had like just under 200 yards passing and maybe 60 yards rushing. Like, not a tremendous performance, but definitely showed some of his ability. And I walked out of that stadium and said, "Hey, Dad, could that guy win a Heisman Trophy?" And what my dad said was, Baylor has to win a lot more games for that to happen. Sure enough, you know, Griffin goes on to win 10 games and, and win the Heisman after all. Like you said, really paving the way for a lot of those guys that were to come. Well, let's talk about Baylor hoops because that's why I had you on, bro, is that's what you said you wanted to talk about. And um, you being a UConn guy, right, Gino is undisputedly uh, the best women's basketball coach in the country of all time, right? I mean, just unbelievable run of championships for Geno and, and UConn. And, of course, Kim Mulkey, probably considered number two or number three right behind him. And she's had a long string of success at Baylor. Everybody knows Coach Mulkey. My question for you is, why don't more people know about Scott Drew? And is Scott Drew not the most underappreciated head coach in college basketball? Because Baylor, before Scott Drew came and took over, in a very similar fashion to Matt Rule, right? Coming off just a disastrous scandal and, and news cycle, Baylor had only had four NCAA tournament appearances ever. None since 1988. And Scott Drew comes in, and all he does is develop good players and consistently have Baylor in the tournament, in the Sweet 16, 
at the top of the Big 12, which is a very, very, I think, underrated basketball conference in general. Why isn't there more credit nationally for Scott Drew? Talk about what you think of Coach Drew. Well, I think he's awesome. And, you know, I think Baylor fans are really lucky to have him. And he's fun and he doesn't take himself too seriously. I mean, because, right, like, we all know, like, you can root for a team and not even necessarily like the coach, you know? And it's like, but when you feel like the coach is one of the guys and, you know, you could have a beer with them or whatever, um, it, it makes it that much more enjoyable. And so, you know, what I would say is, you know, it's crazy because, you know, I told you off air, maybe we were recording, but, you know, I, I was really big on Baylor coming into last season. I, I actually picked him to go to the final four. And, you know, when I had Scott Drew on my podcast, I don't, th- I, I had, I, I obviously remembered, but I had forgotten just how bad things were when he got to Baylor. Yep. And so, you know, I, I think that, you know, to me, why doesn't he get more credit? Look, I mean, you know, college basketball, and I, I, I love college basketball as much as anybody. I went to UConn. I grew up around the sport, all that stuff. But I understand that for most people, um, you know, you, you, you follow your team, but you don't dive in on a national scale um, until February after the Super Bowl's over, maybe January when college football's over, whatever. And so I think when it comes to Scott Drew, he has those two elite eights, but he's never made that final four where he gets that national stage where everyone gets to see who this guy is and what he's about. You know, I mean, look at somebody like Chris Beard, who, you know, nobody knew anything about. And then two years ago, he makes the final four and people realize he's got this crazy background and he's this and he's that. And he's got kind of a dynamic personality when he wants to have it. Um, and you know, and Scott just hasn't had that window. And so I think that's why, but I do think when you're talking about, you know, building a program from scratch and maintaining, and I think it's kind of crazy because, you know, I say this all the time as a UConn alum, I think Jim Calhoun is the greatest program builder in the history of college basketball. There's a lot of people that have won at Kentucky. There's a lot of people that have won, um, at, you know, North Carolina, UConn had basically no history before Jim Calhoun got there. And now people think of it as one of the best brands in the sport, you know, four national championships in the last 21 years, whatever. And I, you know, Scott Drew's obviously look, you know, I don't know if he'll ever get there because whatever, it's really hard to win four national championships over 20 years. But like, I, I think that, you know, in terms of modern program building, it's hard to think of anybody better because of one, what he inherited two what he's built, what he's now sustained for years and years and years now on top of the fact that, you know, I don't, I'll be honest, man. I didn't even know just how bad things were uh, before, uh, before he got there. And so, you know, in, in conclusion um, it's incredible. <laughs> and I will say, I'll, I'll give you and Baylor fans a little pat on the back. I have a buddy who covers Kentucky and I think it was uh, last year when Baylor was in the middle of their, you know, big streak and they won at Fog Allen Fieldhouse. And he just tweeted out, he's like, when did Baylor get good at everything? Like, what is going <laughs> on? It was when Baylor was like number – no, I think I could tell you what day it was actually. It was, no, it was the day the Big 12 championship game was played, but also Baylor was hosting Arizona and Baylor was like seven in the country or 10 in the country or whatever. And he's like, when did they get good at everything? And you think about it, like you said, 
uh, Hall of Famer on the women's basketball coaching side. The men's, uh, or excuse me, the football team's playing for a conference title. The men's team, I don't know exactly where they were ranked at that point, but were ranked pretty high, and it was clear that, um, you know, they, they, they were trending in the right direction. So it's incredible. It's surreal as to how far everything has come. But, you know, I don't know why he doesn't get enough credit other than that he hasn't broken through to that final four. And, um, you know, and hopefully that time's coming this year. Totally. We'll talk about that in just a second. And I'll follow up all your comments just to tell you that I grew up in Waco all my life. I know a ton of people there and I know a ton of people that know everybody at Baylor. Okay. You can almost always find somebody who doesn't like somebody, right? So, like, you talk about Kim Mulkey in Waco. Baylor fans love her as a coach. Obviously, just tremendous respect. But I've met plenty of people who are like, ah, I don't really like her, you know, for whatever reason. It was the same with Bryles. It was the same with Matt Rule. You know, especially Matt Rule. I I didn't have a negative thing to say about him, but I knew people that did. Scott Drew's been in Waco since, what, 2002, 2003? I have never in almost 20 years, met one person who can say one negative thing about him as a dude. Like, people just love him. Well, and I'll just say, you know, I've been doing this long enough where, you know, I've met all sorts of people. You know, he almost, you know who he almost reminds me of is, he almost reminds me of Dabo, honestly. Oh, yeah, very similar, very similar. Yeah, like, you get on the phone with him, man, and, you know, listen, there are people that are nice you get on the phone with Scott Drew, he makes you feel good about yourself. He makes you, you know, he's comes on the phone and he's laughing and you can hear the smile through the phone call and all that stuff. You know, I remember the first, first time I talked to him uh, by phone actually was pretty recently. It was probably about maybe two years ago, two and a half years ago. I was calling him up for an interview and I said, you know, Hey coach, how you doing? And, And you know, you know how most people you'll do pleasantries off the top. But I said, you know, hey, coach, this is Aaron Torres, you know, blah, 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 here for this call, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, oh, man, sorry, man, I'm sorry, I'm so late. You know, we just had a – we have a 6'8 tuba player on campus, and we're trying to figure out if he can play and if he can be a walk-on, and I don't know. But, you know, he's good at tuba, but I don't know if he's good at basketball. And it was just like – you know, it was just like – you know, you just – it's like uh, he, he was just talking to me as if he had known me my whole life when we were 30 seconds into the first conversation. And wow. Yeah. And, you know, but I, but I get the sense that that's just how he is with everybody. And, you know, again, I, I mentioned a minute ago, like, I think Dabo's taken some heat the last few years because he gets mad at the media and nobody respects us and all that stuff. But Dabo has that same personality where you get him on the phone or even in a press conference. If, I'll tell you this, like I, like I said, I know he's getting a little snippy with the media like everybody does when you win the way that he does. But you ask him the right question at a press conference, you'll get a, a five-minute answer from him where he just talks and talks and talks and talks and talks. You don't get that from Urban Meyer, from, from Lincoln Riley, from uh, Nick Saban, from even Ed Orgeron, who's kind of got a quirky personality as well. And – I agree, you know, and, and he's just a really fun guy to talk to. He really is. 100%. And by the way, your, your Scott Drew impression is not bad, Torres. That's not Dang bad. You, 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 were pretty yeah. on, you were pretty on point with that. Well, so well, I started down that road, and I was like, do I keep doing this? I don't want to insult anybody. No, it was good. I do a bad Texas accent, although I guess he's not from Texas, but whatever. But, yeah, no, he's just – he's really like – and and – I'm not claiming that I know him incredibly well. And I, you know, I've had dinner with him, and I know his wife and kids or anything, but he just, you know, when you get on the phone with him, you just, you're automatically drawn to his personality and I hope he stays this way forever. And by the way, I also hope 
And I know we're going to get to it in a minute that, you know, I hope that they have this breakout type of year so that everybody can see just how fun he is uh, as a personality. Totally agree with you. And, and so let's get into that. So last season, I think a lot of Baylor fans were crossing their fingers, right, with that men's team. This is our Final Four team. Could this team compete for the national championship? I mean, just talent all across the court, deep. And obviously the season gets cut short. A couple of guys, Jared Butler and Macy Oteagues, are looking in at the draft, and, and all of a sudden Baylor fans are like, man, this was the year we were going to go win the women's and the men's. You know what that's like as a UConn guy, right? And, of course, that gets cut short. Well, uh, Jared Butler's back. Macy Oteague's back. Davion Mitchell is back. Mark Vidal is back. Uh, you've got LJ Cryer, super talented freshman. You've got uh, just playmakers all across the court. Depth. Andy Katz has Baylor as his number two team right behind Gonzaga. Baylor is going to play Gonzaga and probably Villanova here in in the first couple weeks of the season. So we're going to find out real quickly how good this Baylor team is and and if they have the potential to make a run again. Man, do you have Baylor slated as a Final Four team again? And and what what do you think this Baylor team is really made of as we go into the 2020 season? The only thing I would say about Baylor, I, listen, I, I don't think there's any justification for not having them in the top five in the preseason you know, maybe, maybe top three, I, you know, I have them probably at number two. I actually like Villanova a lot this year. Um, But, you know, what I would say, you know, one thing I would say, and I don't think anybody's talking about it because, you know, this, this, uh, you know, this takes actually doing your homework and all that stuff. And I think too, too often guys don't do their homework in the media, but I do think losing Freddie Gillespie is going to be a big thing. Like, Mm they don't really have that rim protector, crazy athletic guy to fill that void. Mark vital plays hard. Uh, you know, Tristan Clark, we'll see, you know, if he's back to a hundred percent, but you know, that's the thing that concerns me, but everybody has concerns, right? It's college basketball. I mean, the rosters turn over. And the one thing I'll say real quick is that, you know, in talking to, to people across the sport, the one thing that everyone kind of agrees on is having continuity this season more than any other will help because there's just not as much practice time. There's not as much five on five time, and there's definitely no preseason scrimmages, no exhibition games. And so, you know, you're starting game one, you're getting thrown into the fire. And so I think that bodes really, really well for Baylor as well as some of the teams that they're playing that you reference. but yeah, man, it's impossible not to like them. Um, you know, you can ask questions. And, and by the way, like there are other like minor issues, like maybe do they have too much depth with all the guys back plus the transfers plus the freshmen. But yeah, it's hard not to look at that program and say, there's no doubt they're a top three team. Um, and they're in the short conversation to win the national championship. I don't think there's any debate about it, whether it happens or not. You know, that's what we got between now and the end of March for, but they absolutely are as good as anybody with as much opportunity as anybody. Well, and you make a great point there, two great points, actually. I think, number one, the the continuity in the backcourt, right, with, with particularly with Butler and Teague and Mitchell is going to work wonders for Baylor, especially early. And and you make a great point that Freddie Gillespie might have been one of the most underappreciated guys in the country last year and really just a solid rock down there, down low. And, and Baylor's got a hope, of course, that, like you said, Clark is healthy. There's rumors right now around the building that he's lost a lot of weight and trying to play more athletic. Does Flo Thamba step up? Does, does freshman Zach Loveday, who we kind of snipe from Ohio State, 
maybe play well this season. Who knows? Yeah, should be a lot of fun. Here's a question for you as a, as a guy that hosts a national radio program and all of this. What is the national media reaction going to be if little old Baylor, and Baylor fans love adopting that identity, Torres, little old Baylor goes and wins the national championship in men's basketball, and especially if it's coupled with a maybe more realistic women's basketball title. I mean, what's the, what is the national media going to look at that and do with that? Well, first of all, I want to say one thing about even last year, and I think it will apply to the question that you asked, is if Baylor wins, we're going to hear some BS narrative. Well, it's just because Kentucky and North Carolina and Duke were down. Like last year, that's all I heard was there's no great teams in college basketball this year. It's like, yo, somebody just won 22 straight games. Like, right. what are you talking about? There's no great teams. I'm sorry that it's not a brand that you are familiar with and you're going to have to do some homework to learn about this team. But stop telling me there's no great teams in college basketball. Baylor just won 20 whatever straight games. Stop it. And so, um, you know, I do think that if they win, it'll probably be a thing of, well, you know, uh, Wow, college basketball was really wide open this year, whereas in reality, listen, I think this time next year, Jared Butler is going to be a first-round draft pick, and I think that history tells you that, you know, you have to have not only good guard play, but veteran guard play to have success in the tournament. So, you know, from a national perspective, I'm sure it'll be like, wow, they came out of nowhere. This program's incredible. But I think anybody that's been paying close attention, at least at the very least last year, if you actually tune into a Baylor game, you saw a really good team with really dynamic guard play. Um, and I think if they win it, you know, I do think it'll be a little bit of, wow, that's kind of surprising. But I think anybody who's been paying attention, I don't necessarily think that um, they'll be that surprised. By the way, I find it funny that you said little old Baylor, because as I just said a minute ago, what does Davo Sweeney always call Clemson? Little old right. Clemson. <laughs> so there you go. Right. The difference is, of course, Clemson's been a football power for a long time, right? <laughs> and Baylor will make a run every now and again. But anyway, well, man, that's about all I had for you in regards to Baylor. And, and you have given, uh, a, you've been very generous with your time and with your comments. And I really just appreciate it uh, very much. Any final thoughts you have for, for listeners of this podcast about um, the college basketball season? And then after you do that, I'll let you uh, kind of pitch your own podcast. Yeah, nothing. I'm just fired up for college hoops, man. I, I mean, I do love it. And I, like I said, I do understand that it's, um, you know, a sport that a lot of people, it's hard to keep up with. There's so many teams, so many games, and you kind of follow your team and maybe your conference. But I, I still think it's a great sport. I love the fans. I love the, um, you know, the, the, the arenas. I love the – I frankly love how, you know, different programs do things different ways. You know, Kentucky – you know, I always say this, but – you know, Kentucky and Virginia probably have in the last 10 years have probably recruited one or two of the same players. They don't even recruit the same players. And, you know, both have won a national championship, multiple conference championships. And there's just, you know, I just, you know, as somebody who covers all this stuff, you know, you look at kind of the NBA and you kind of know before the season, okay, here's the three or four teams. You look at the NFL, okay, we're we don't know what the storyline is going to be, but everybody kind of does it the same way. Whereas like college basketball, is, you know, in college football is a little bit like this too, is, you know, like I said, what Kentucky does is so different than what Virginia does is so different than what, um, you know, Gonzaga does and everybody has success. So I'm just excited to watch. I think it's going to be weird. I think it's going to be like football. It's going to be really hard to bet. You know, I was pretty hot on my betting picks uh, in basketball last year. We'll see how that goes. 
Um, but, you know, I just think it's going to be so unprecedented having no games. You know, I will say on a negative note, and I don't want to end on a negative note, you know, I just think COVID's going to be a real issue for college basketball with all the travel, with the number of games. Um, you know, and I think specifically now we're seeing the Big Ten like, okay, now that these things are happening, now that we're seeing what it all looks like in the Big Ten, we're realizing how crazy these procedures are. And I know for a fact Big Ten coaches in basketball are already freaking out because of what's going to potentially happen in that league during basketball season. So I don't want to end on a negative note, but I do think COVID's going to be an issue all year where just game to game, you don't know who you're going to have and you don't know who's going to test positive and you don't know if you show up to the arena, if games are going to get played or not. I hope it becomes less of an issue. I don't think it will be at least for one season, but hopefully we get some semblance of a season. Hopefully we at least get to a tournament. Maybe we put it in a bubble. I don't know. But that's the hope, man. That's the hope. But I'm just excited. Well, hey, man, you know that Baylor, we're, we're the Baptists, so we'll be praying that this basketball season gets <laughs> off without a hitch, right? And, and yeah, man, absolutely agree with everything you said. And, uh, again, really appreciate your time today, and this has been a really fun conversation for me, and I know our listeners will enjoy it. Why don't you just tell my listeners about your podcast and kind of what you'll be looking at this week and, and make sure that they are listening to you as this college basketball season gets going. Yeah, man. You know, I kind of bounce back and forth, as I said, to lead the show between football and basketball. You know, I will be ramping up some hoops coverage uh, in the coming days, you know, conference previews, all that stuff. Got some good hoops guests coming on. Um, and yeah, man. And yeah, and, you know, during the season, I'm talking a lot of football, probably the more relevant national storylines. Obviously, this week, Trevor Lawrence is going to be a story. Uh, as we're recording here, Dan Mullen just got a fine. So I talked about that on the podcast on Monday. Um, but yeah, man, if you, if you love college sports, you know, it's not a, a super local show. I talk about the biggest issues, the biggest topics, but it's a fun show. People enjoy it. Um, it seems as though people enjoy it. At least the, the numbers would reflect that. So no, man, I appreciate you having me, but it's the Aaron Torres podcast. Obviously you'll see my name, so you'll be able to figure it out. And then, yeah, I host on Fox sports radio every Saturday uh, with Arnie Spanier. We do a really fun show. He's a frankly a radio legend he's an older guy he's been doing it forever and you know he cracks me up and we have a really fun show so uh, i encourage people to watch i encourage people to listen and uh, that's all i really got my man that was some great stuff there with aaron torres of fox sports radio and the aaron torres sports podcast make sure you check him out when you have the opportunity and that's going to wrap it up for us here this week on please bear with me thanks so much for giving us a listen please bear with me is brought to you by bears illustrated at 247sports.com thanks to tim watkins over there thanks to iron kids for all the music you heard today if you want to check them out look to spotify iron kids we'll talk to you next week sick and bears we